Welcome to the Painting of the Week podcast, where we look at some of the most significant paintings throughout history. Introducing your hosts, Phil Grabsky and Laura Bentham. Hello, welcome to our arts podcast, Painting of the Week. I'm Phil. And I'm Laura. <laughs> still, um, still laughing. And today we're going to talk about a... Um, very, very famous painting called The Girl. Actually, it's not called The Girl. It's called Girl with a Pearl Earring. And it is in the Moritz House, which is in The Hague, Netherlands. And um, I do declare an interest in the sense that we made a film about this painting solely. Well, I can talk about this later, but we made a film called Girl with a Pearl Earring and Other Treasures of the Moritz House. And it is by the artist Johannes Vermeer. Now, Laura, you chose to look at this painting. <laughs> I did. Why? <laughs> well, the good news is I know this painting. I've seen this painting. Yeah. <laughs> Which is no surprise to anybody because it seems to always be everywhere. Yeah. Whenever you see a book or you know, anything to do with the old masters, for some reason this painting is, yeah. is seemingly the one Advertising, yeah, graffiti, this yeah. is it's so famous. It is. And instead of having lots of answers this week, I feel like I've just got lots of questions. Okay. So you're under lots of pressure today. All right. Well, <laughs> hence the fact I gave you some cookies. Here's, and they were very nice. <laughs> um, here's two funny stories about this painting. Number one, if you go to the Rijksmuseum mm. in Amsterdam, mm-hmm. which is a wonderful museum, of course. There is a sign at the cash register, the uh, reception there, which says, the girl, sorry, girl with a pearl earring is not here. Oh, okay. It's in The Hague. <laughs> so everyone wants So everyone, obviously people have turned up. Everyone goes to the Rijks Museum thinking that obviously this extraordinary classic painting will be in, 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 in Amsterdam. It's not. It's in The Hague. Number two, which I thought was interesting, was that... Um, at one time, the Moritz House thought about, well, they used to license the painting. So, you know, somebody in advertising or T-shirts or, in theory, you would have to go to the Moritz House who owned the painting and get their permission to use it. And right. they would charge you. And then if they found out that you were using it without their permission, they would, you know, say, hold on a minute, yeah. that's ours. And, and I, get, I, I don't have any evidence for this, but they would probably even threaten to sue you. Then they realised it was just impossible because yeah. it's used so much. It, and like other galleries, actually, the Rijksmuseum, just mentioned the Rijksmuseum, the Rijksmuseum told me once that they collected half a million euros a year in licence fees. So people using their images for documentaries or for feature films or for advertising or for whatever. But the department... The staffing and everything else cost them half a million euros a year, so they decided it's pointless. Yeah. So now they basically let people use stuff. This happens also in the United States. And uh, actually, the United States is interesting because their attitude is, as a taxpayer, you've already paid for these paintings, so we shouldn't charge. We shouldn't, as a national body, charge you again. Anyway. So they don't charge. So they don't charge either. Okay. Some do, some do. So you could go and film. No. Yeah, no. You some, still would. Okay. You can wait. What they do now is they charge you an access fee. Oh, okay, fine. Rather than fee per painting. Anyway, gone off on, on a bit of a tangent. Here we go. But, but the point is, this is, <laughs> I would argue, this is 
one of, what, top three, top five of the tens of millions of paintings that have been done in history. Yeah. This has got to be right up there as one of the top five paintings in terms of its recognition ever. Yes. I think recognition for sure. Unbelievable. And of course, the, yeah. fe- the feature film with uh, Scarlett Johansson oh, yeah. didn't, didn't hurt. And it's a funny question then, Phil, but do you have any answer as to why? Because there are so many, well, we've already looked at some wonderful paintings mm. before we've got to here. And why is this one so just the one that everyone seems to go to? Well, I can only give my opinion, of course. I think. Yeah, good. First of all, there comes a point when I think there is such a thing as herd mentality. Yes. And I think you see it with the Mona Lisa, for example. I mean, I think there are better Leonardo's, but people feel comfortable kind of going with the flow and ticking off something that's on a list. Yeah, okay. Or not wanting to say, actually, I think that Ginevra da Vinci's a better Leonardo. Is that wrong? And Anyway, so obviously there came a point when this, once this painting becomes famous, then it then it kind of jumps from being, it's like logarithmic, it jumps from being famous to being extraordinarily famous because everyone wants to have their picture taken in front of it. Yeah. But let's look at why it became famous. Johannes Vermeer is, I for me, one of the greatest artists of all time. And... Because I do like artists where you can absolutely, you know, the craft is so extraordinary. Um, When you look at his paintings and there are 35, there's a bit of dispute about that, but very, very few have survived. In fact, he didn't do that many. And you compare to uh, some of the Impressionists who did, you know, thousands. Yeah. Um, Picasso is, is... you know, you, you'll sometimes read he did 50,000 artworks, yeah. including mm-hmm. ceramics and things. Vermeer was, was um, as far as we know, as I say, only 35 have survived, but I don't think there are many more. Why but do you think they didn't survive? Just well, I don't, I don't not think so he, popular, maybe. I don't think he did many more. I just think he, uh, took, okay. I think he took a very long time to do them. Mm-hmm. Um, the trouble with Vermeer is there's no correspondence. Right. Nothing. It makes it quite, makes it quite a hard character to make a film about because you can't quote him. No. But there's some evidence of of where he lived and who he married and and um uh and his life in 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 Delft but the reality seems to be that he was just slow at painting and actually when you look at the quality of what he does. So number 1 Vermeer I mean Anybody of those 35 paintings that have survived, one famously has been stolen. No one knows where it is, but you would, you would, you know, they're all worth multi millions and you'd have any of them. What's the name of the one that was stolen? Do you know? Oh, sorry, Phil. Um, <laughs> I was intriguing now. Thanks so much. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> I was going to say the music. Well, room. we can look it up. Or everybody else can look it up and, and comment for us. I'm sure they will. Stolen from Boston. Oh, I should <laughs> okay. know. Well, that's um, all right. We'll come back to it. <laughs> it's maybe it, next week. Is it the music lesson or is that the one the Buckingham And was it stolen has? from there? From Boston, yeah. Oh, okay. Amazing. So it's, there's one um, around. Yeah, I mean, we, we all got to watch out. Well, they, they, 
it's it's, it's it was a really serious heist and they don't know where the paintings have gone they mm. they think they might even be in northern ireland but no one's really sure okay. or ireland um okay if you look a bit more specifically at this painting again really easy narrative you don't need to work too hard you know within a split second what it is it is a young girl and the young girl's looking at you and she is clearly attractive she's catching your eye um so that there's that then what else is in its favor well the colors bright colors we've talked before about yellow being an attractive color in a painting blue I know from people that work in auction houses that paintings that have, have blue in them actually sell for more than any other colour. Really? People like blue. These are complementary colours, so the blue and yellow. Yeah, they are. So not only her headdress, which is not nothing Dutch. I mean, it's not something that Dutch people, Dutch women were wearing at the time. I mean, this is a an effect. I actually love her headdress and I love the way it's tied. Yeah, it looks so lovely. Mm. But then again, look at look what's you know it seems to have slipped. I think again, that's not. I don't think that's necessarily how it's supposed to have been worn. But it may have come undone at the top. Hard to tell. But again, it's yellow, and then it comes to blue at the bottom, and the blue is then contrasting again with the kind of it's kind of yellowy green, isn't it? But basically, the yellow of her top. Um, look at her face. It's you know the proportions of it are perfect. Yeah, and again. Vermeer is, he is not, we'll come on to this, he's not a realistic painter. He's not painting what's in front of him. So what is missing from her face? Do you see? Eyebrows. Eyebrows, no eyebrows. We don't notice at first. No. But he, he, he didn't feel the need to add eyebrows. It was like a distraction. Um, and then if you look at the lips, that little bit open, there's a, just a dab of white paint, which is suggesting yeah. a little bit of saliva, maybe as though she's about to speak to you. It's almost as if, as if you've just walked in the room and she's turning and catching your eye. Um, you've got it against a very dark background, which again just thrusts her forwards. And then, of course, you've got this enormous pearl earring, yeah. which is, again, totally unrealistic, mm -hmm. it's, it, you know. It's, it's, so do you think you don't think she was wearing that pearl earring then? Well, I mean, it's here's here, here's my view on Vermeer. Mm. There is this myth about Vermeer. Mm -hmm. So David Hockney, I mean, he's he's written about this. He and others believe that Vermeer, not so much in this painting, but other paintings like um, uh, the so-called milkmaid. She's not actually a milkmaid. She's just a house servant, but or a lady reading a letter or or the music lesson or. They are so detailed and so perfectly painted. And, and when you x-ray them, there's no underdrawing. There's no um, evidence yeah. of mistakes. People think it's not possible. He must have been using, this is what Hockney suggests, argues, he must have been using some form of mirrors. Oh, okay. So basically he's set up a scene. Mm -hmm. That scene is then reflected through oh, okay. mirrors onto a canvas. Right. And all Vermeer's doing is he's virtually colouring in. Okay. Okay, it's a, it's a view. Yes. And my knowledge and experience is infinitesimal compared to David Hockney. However, I don't think that's true. Okay. I'll tell you why I don't think it's true. First of all, I don't think it's true because the perspectives of those rooms are not real. 
Mm-hmm. If you look sometimes at the way the mirror in a paint, one of Vermeer's paintings, what it's actually reflecting back to you, it's impossible. It just wouldn't be, you wouldn't be seeing that in the mirror. Uh, if you look at the lines, some of them don't make sense. I go along with the argument of some of the historians and curators that we interviewed for two films we've made now about Vermeer. They say that he didn't even create these sets. Basically, he's doing it all in his head. And he might have brought in, the, he might have done the floor first, and then he might have brought in the table, he might have brought in a chair, he might have brought in a musical instrument, he might have brought in a person. He's bringing it all in. And that we shouldn't have this idea that he's created, he's built a set, he's got a model standing there, pouring milk, reading yeah. a letter, yeah. and the person just stands there for day after day while he paints them. The evidence suggests, and I believe it, that he's he's just so much of a genius. He's created it in his mind and then he's just transferring that onto the screen. It's like you say, though, they're perfect paintings, aren't they? They're amazing. I mean, they are perfect. I mean, that, the, the milkmaid yeah. I did look at because a friend of mine asked me to. And uh, the other one was the little street mm-hmm. she loved. And they are perfect, incredibly so. And the perspective on them is so good. There is a similarity of them in that they're often, you've got light source from the left as yes. you're looking at them and you've got a tiled floor and single characters, often young women. Yeah. Um, about a third of his paintings have a musical instrument in, which again, actually, usually to an audience at the time would almost have given them a soundtrack. They'd have heard the music oh, okay, by looking yeah. at the instrument. Mm-hmm. But as you say, you look at the deep, if you just, again, it's that whole thing, stop and look. <laughs> the milkmaid, you look at the bread. You yes. can pick that bread up and yes. eat it. Yeah. Now, of course, the Dutch were well known for doing still lives and food, but still, the milk, there's no movement in that painting, is it? It's completely still. Yeah. And you've just got this dribble of milk and you totally believe it. But again, no, there's no, no model could hold. No. Dribbling that milk, obviously the milk would run out. Um, so it's funny that the most famous one of his then is less busy. Well, in the same gallery, Moritz House is yeah. actually perhaps a more impressive painting, which is a view of Delft. Okay. Which is, you can go to the spot today where he clearly stood and painted. It's not that much changed over the last, what, what we're we talking, almost 400 years. Um, but it's absolutely brilliant. And even even that painting, though, he's played around with things a little bit and he's right. moved things a touch just to make them balance and he's put a little bit of yellow here and a little bit of blue there. Really, really busy paintings. We could do busy paintings if you wanted to. Yep. This one is really attractive in, in its simplicity. Virtually no background. No. I mean, there is, if you look carefully, there is a little bit. It's not pure black. There is a little bit of smudging in the background. But in Milkmaid is also interesting because... He's very clever. He's got a wall behind her. Mm. There's some. There's a couple of nails and there's a couple of damaged bits where the nails had been. Yeah. But there's nothing there no. to distract. Mm-hmm. Other paintings... It's all down do, to that milk and bread. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Other paintings, he deliberately has maps on the wall mm-hmm. or carp, um, tapestries or paintings. Always for a reason. This is... An, very, very simple in, in one sense. Now... Tracy Chevalier wrote her book, Girl with a Pearl Earring, on which the film is based. And her suggestion was that this is a servant in the household 
that Vermeer was attracted to. Right. And he got her to be his um, model. But she did. Do you think she posed for that? Well, there's absolutely no evidence for that. Right. Tracy Chevalier would admit. Basically, Tracy Chevalier had this picture as a poster at the end of her bed in, right. in her house. And she just used to stare at it and she just made up this story. And she said there's no evidence for that at all. It's very unlikely that Vermeer's wife would have let her let him right. paint a servant girl in his studio with mm-hmm. the door shut. It's mm-hmm. just not going to happen. It's much more likely, if it's anybody, it would have been one of his own daughters. Oh, okay. Because he had a lot of children. Yeah, he did, didn't he? He had quite right. a few. Um, and, you know, she it, that that's more likely to be the... Uh, okay, the so model. she didn't pose for this. No. He, that is... It, it, well, you don't know. But it's, it's, not, it's not going to be a servant girl. And anyway, you know... I love the fact that we're talking about this painting because I don't... <laughs> I never talk about paintings, as you know, not really. But well, we do. Well, we? well, we do now. <laughs> I just think we can talk about it, couldn't we, for another sort of like four months and we still wouldn't draw any conclusions. Well, I think that's part of the appeal. It's quite but, good. I'm but, quite enjoying this. <laughs> but part of the appeal of this painting is you, you do kind of wonder who she is. Yeah. And there's always with paintings, there's that slight edge of, of mortality. Uh-huh. Yes. This is a beautiful young woman mm. from the 17th century mm. who clearly now is dead. Obviously. Yes. Everyone what are you trying to say, Phil? Come on. But, ruined I mean, it now. But you just wonder who she was, what kind of life she had. Yeah. What were her experiences? she got beautiful eyes. And then, yeah, well. And, I mean, yeah, who knows? Why is it so famous? Well, I think it's 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 the colour scheme. It's the beauty of her face. It's the notoriety or the fame of the artist. Um, it has a story. Like a lot of paintings, it kind of disappeared. And in fact, Vermeer's uh, renown kind of waned and bounced back only about, well, anyway, what, 100 and something years ago. Uh, it's in the film, actually, talks about, you know, somebody saw this picture... It was very grubby, very dirty, but they just thought there was something right. here. It's a bit like the Salvatore Mundi story of a painting that's found in an auction and cleaned up and then gradually... You also have to understand that the painting is actually quite damaged. Oh, OK. So, I mean, there, there is that thing, isn't there? It's all very well us looking at these paintings on Google mm. and on the computer and sometimes... Well, I shouldn't have probably said Google. I'm sure there's other things you can look at it on. But... Um, that you, uh, when you get in front of mm. a painting that for real, you do have a completely different feeling about it. Yeah. And especially when it's how, I mean, I, I think I told you I tried to see the Mona Lisa once, couldn't get anywhere near it. Yeah. Didn't, just gave up. Well, this one, I definitely felt that again in the Moritz house. Mm. And we were lucky because we were there when it was closed. Yeah. And Moritz house was just finishing kind of two years of renovation and there were, about to open. It's a very beautiful gallery. It's like a little chocolate uh, chocolate box, you know, treasure Ooh. treasure house. Oh, now I've livened up. <laughs> I didn't know there's chocolate involved. <laughs> um, Come on, Phil. <laughs> but they have the most amazing collection. 
it's very beautifully framed and it's very beautifully hung and it's very beautifully lit. Mm. Your first reaction, of course, is that thing of seeing a famous painting. Yes. So it's like, oh, yeah. oh, that's that's the, oh, that's it. But then again, you got to stop. You got to, you know, take your selfie, take your picture. We all do, but then you got to stop and look at it. And then when you start looking at it, you think, wow, yeah. But it also has to be said that that you know, in that same room, there are other. You know, View of Delft is an equally fine painting, but people don't necessarily make their way to the Moritz House. Just to see that. I mean, it's a bit like when you go to galleries and you've got the director's tour and they choose 20 objects. I think it's just galleries making our lives easier and just us as, as humans making our lives easier by selecting certain paintings, which we then make to be more famous than other ones. Yeah. Um, so we can tick our boxes. But... Mm. It's a very, if you look at it as an image, of course, it, it is, you know, it wasn't so long ago when I, somebody was doing one of those, you know, they were asking for money in Trafalgar Square and they were chalk, doing chalk on the pavement and they were, they were doing this painting. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, if you... <laughs> and they did a good job. Yeah. But, but again, it's really easy then, to, you know, it's easy to spot it, easy to identify it. If they'd done one of his more complicated paintings, yeah, it takes a little bit longer to realise what it is and... So the earring really has nothing to do with it then? You it's just it's just a dress. It's just for show. It's, it's, it's really big, isn't it? It's enormous. There's no way that, that even Vermeer would have had such a huge earring. You don't realise there's no, you don't know the relative, it's just there. Um, well, again... It just does look so big for her ear. If you look at it, that's also really another reason why she's not. I mean, there's no way a servant's going to no. be wearing an earring no. of that size. No, um, it's not the first time you know he's drawn earrings. I think it's just. I mean, if you if you take it away, yeah. I mean, it, it does. It's that whole thing again. We've talked about this before about where your eye goes to. So the spots of white are sending your eye in the most fantastic circles around her face. Yes. So actually. When you first look, you probably are drawn straight to her eyes mm-hmm. because you know, they're very, you know, very white. Those little dots of white on her um, irises. Um, then you go to the right, you come down to that kind of teardrop white on the pearl earring itself. You've got the white collar, sends you back down and then back up to the lips. You've got a yeah. bit of white on them. So you're just going round and round in circles. Then you kind of draw away from it a little bit, spend a bit more time and you look at the, you go to the headdress probably. And I think that's what that bit of cloth is. What that cloth does is it takes you down from the top of the painting down to the back of it. Otherwise you probably might not even look at. Back of the dress. Back of the dress mm. or the, the top that she's yeah. wearing. Mm. Um, yeah. And then, you know, obviously it's in, the back's in darkness, so your eyes then drawn to the front where it's in a bit of light and then bang, you're going back around in circles again. Um and, of course, her face is quite pale and, and bright too. But you look, you start looking really, those little dots of white, you know, either side of her lips, on the yeah. on the lip itself, even a tiny little bit inside the mouth. It's, I mean, it's beautifully done. I mean, obviously, then those bits, of, those little spots of white, if you think they're probably the last things that he does. Yeah. Painting's actually quite damaged and what the Moritz House when they last cleaned it and then they take a picture where the, where the shows all the pigment loss. Right. Um, 
then they varnish it and then they paint on top of the varnish. So we we can see cracks in in, but actually, if you took off the varnish, you'd there'd be bits where there was no pigment there at all uh-huh. because it has been damaged. When you saw it in the, I mean, I'm assuming you've been, you must have been there a couple of times. Mm. So do you, how long do you spend looking at it? I mean, really late ages? Because um, you must have been so excited when you first got there. I was Like I said, I never got to the Mona Lisa. I couldn't get anywhere near the Mona Lisa when I went to the Louvre. I had to abandon it. Well, we saw it in different ways, actually. We saw it while the Moritz house was being renovated, the painting went on tour. Oh, Okay. Worldwide tour. Um, so we saw it when it came back and was being unpacked. That was quite interesting. Yeah. Then we saw it hung. And yeah, you look at it. I mean, it seems like a long time. Probably if you were being timed, it might be 10 minutes, yeah. 15 minutes. I'm always amazed when I hear about people who will sit in front of a painting for an hour. Yes. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I've ever done that. Um, I might do now. I do now. Now I'm, you know. But then, I'll, but then, when we're actually making the film, you spend a lot of time looking at it. Yeah, I can imagine. And of course, in the film, you, you're doing all sorts of close-ups. And our film basically was we tried to explore all the questions, and we I know you've got more questions, but we tried to Sorry, answer Phil. the questions about this one painting. <laughs> By being detectives and answering it by looking at other paintings in the collection. Okay, so, so it wasn't a film about his life. There's, there's a bit of yeah. That. There's a bit about that, but we mm. did we did do another film about Vermeer, which was biographical. So we didn't want to repeat ourselves too much. No. Um, so you know, we talked about um, what other paintings in the collection told us about this period and what you know what it tells us about. Vermeer and why he painted this. So if um, you were doing a book on the old masters and things like that, notepads and stuff, would that be the painting you would pick? Well, it's funny because our exhibition on screen brochure. Yes. Uh, I think the first one that we did where we were sending it out to cinemas and possible sponsors and, you know, people like that, um, this was the picture. Was it? Now it's now it's Van Gogh. We changed oh, okay. it. Okay. So the, the new. The, oh, that's really interesting. The new. So it was the Van picture. Gogh. Yeah. And you have no. Was there, mean, yeah, the, just the, because it is the most famous. You can't. No, no, it's not just, just the most famous. It's just because it's you, a very beautiful picture. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you can't go wrong. I don't think. But you you must, know, if you had that yeah. framed, and you know. Yeah. No, I'll definitely have it in my house. You're not going to be disappointed, are no, you? No, it would. Yeah, I'm having quite a lot in my house at <laughs> this precise moment. <laughs> I said no to any yet. We've, 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 <laughs> I mean, it's been such a fuss, but we've had our interior walls repainted and now we've got lots of space. <laughs> oh no, I've seen this happening. Lots of space, but no paintings. So. <laughs> and it's I'm my biggest, sh- actually, my biggest regret in the last 25 years of making art films was I didn't, <laughs> I didn't see the money, didn't, but it didn't occur to me to actually buy any. Oh, Phil. I know. What were you thinking? I know. <laughs> I could have retired. No, don't. Not back on that again. I've got a friend who collected, as he was going along, was just collecting kind of contemporary right, you know, yeah. art. And, I mean, he's got a nice house, but the artwork on the walls is worth far more than the yeah. house. You can't think about it now. Don't look back. No. Don't look back. Um, but, yeah. I'm t- I'm, I want maybe, maybe, yeah. Well... I've been quite happy with with kind of 
drawings and paintings that my kids have done. That's been equally rewarding. Well, they might, they might be worth something. I know. Day. Well, you never know. <laughs> um, I've still got plenty of those. There's no way you can get rid of those. So I can't anyway. They're still downstairs in some boxes. I've still got plenty stuck on the walls. There is another um, suggestion about who this might be, which is quite fun. Yeah. Which is that one of Vermeer's clients or somebody that commissioned work, bought work from him, was um, the baker. A few shop, few houses down, and this might be the baker's daughter. Okay. Um, maybe he was the baker that made that bread. Maybe the baker, yeah. Yeah. Actually, okay. the only, you know, the only, the only painting... There's only one painting of Vermeer that has children in it, and it's that one of the little street. Okay. With the two little kids on the yeah. floor playing some kind of game. Um, and like he's a really, I mean, he's a really fascinating painter. Uh, you know, in Delft. You know, no one's no one's entirely sure where he learned his craft. People have suggestions, which we talk about in the films, but. He acquires this extraordinary quality. And there's a couple of accounts of people who've come to Delft to see him and see his work. Um, but like Dutch painters at the time, they were kind of their own their own dealers. To Rembrandt, for example, his house was also where he dealt, where he bought and sold, well, he didn't buy, but where he sold his art. Right. Um, so the same with Vermeer. Um but he must have been excruciating if you commissioned him to do an artwork. You must have had to wait forever. Well, especially if he only did, what are you saying, 30? Well, 35, yeah. we know of. Um, he wasn't that old when he died, was he? No. So he may have got more prolific as he got older, of course. I can't remember, was he? Did he have nine? Yeah. Nine children? Well, so. yeah. Depends. I think I read more, but. Was it more on that? Well, I think I read 11. Okay. But, I mean, you know, we could get any... Boris Johnson doesn't know, does he, how many people he's got, <laughs> so... <laughs> well, he said he keeps it to himself. So he keeps it to himself. <laughs> so, you know, it depends on what, what we're reading. But maybe that's why his well is so popular, because no one really knows. It's a bit of a mystery. Everyone loves a mystery. Yeah. So... Okay, so he's definitely your favourite, one of your favourites on your wall. Vermeer. Vermeer yes. is definitely one of my favourites. He's definitely worth... Um, I mean, the two best places to see Vermeer's are the Met and the National Gallery of Art in Washington. Okay, I've got to book my flight. <laughs> yeah, well, if only we could. Um, I think one has... I think the National Gallery has four and the Met has five, something like that. And um, they are... They're really something special. Okay. There have been, in recent years, a couple of like big Vermeer exhibitions where they pull them together. Um, there's, a, there's a story about how they made a terrible mistake at one time because they flew a lot of these Vermeers on the same plane. Oh. And, um, <laughs> yeah, somebody, point, you- somebody pointed out that plane had gone down. Yeah. He lost most of his oeuvre. So now they're much more cautious. Yeah. I mean, post-COVID exhibitions will change because I think there'll be less big exhibitions because if you have to reduce the capacity of galleries, maybe it's not profitable enough and these are very expensive things to put on. 
um, those that own the paintings might be less willing to travel with them. Yeah, yeah. So I know at the moment exhibitions are being, you know, curate um, paintings are being sent without a handler, and the handlers are dealing with it on Zoom, which is wow interesting and yeah. saves a lot of money, but probably not to their. They'd rather be there when the painting is unpacked. And yeah. They do the check and they hang it. I think I'd quite like that job. Chewing the paintings, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that'd be quite a nice job. But I also think that uh, the galleries are... I don't know, I think there's been a period of big exhibitions the last 10 years. and I, I don't know, I just have a feeling that there'll be fewer and they will last longer. They're just so much work. Well, actually, I quite like them to last longer. Yeah, me too. Because they were getting so busy. Yeah. And it was even getting hard to get tickets. Yeah. And then tickets were being sold sort of on a secondary market and things like that, which is all getting a bit yeah. depressing. Yeah. So actually, I wouldn't mind them being longer. I don't know whether the galleries are going to appreciate me saying that. No, I mean, you, you think of the staff in these galleries. Yeah. I mean, they work so hard yeah. and, of course, they've had their numbers cut. And then yeah. the marketing departments, for example, I mean, they, they don't get a chance to breathe because they're doing these, if there are three, you know, if you're doing three-month exhibitions, yeah. that's four a year, yeah. plus everything else they do. Um, the problem is that people who lend paintings don't want to lend them for huge amounts of time. No, well, I can understand that. So that's going to be an issue. So if, paint, if exhibitions are now going to last six months, there's no way the Met want their Vermeers disappearing for six months because no. they want people to come to, to come the Met back. and see yeah. them. Yeah, true. True, so, true. I don't know. Maybe maybe we will get into high-quality reproductions, 3D reproductions. Oh. But I doubt it. I just don't think they're ever going to be quite as good. You're never going to want to go and see that, are you? Going to be... It wouldn't be the same. I personally think that, um, which, which galleries do... I think it's quite all right to have an exhibition which is actually just one painting. There was okay. one at the Met. I mean, I went to a couple of years ago. I can't actually imagine that. No, but I mean, there might be some peripheral <laughs> oh, okay, stuff too. Fine. No, 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 but I mean, like, they, they, <laughs> the, the Met did... Um, what was the painting? Anyway, it was a Leonardo. Right. So I just... think they borrowed it from the Vatican. Anyway, and it was beautifully positioned and lit and I think they probably got as many people going through that just to see that one painting yeah as if they'd had you know an exhibition of a hundred paintings you know I think people part of the appeal of going to a gallery is just having somewhere to go with with friends or you know partners yeah um I mean I go to some exhibitions and I think you know what there's too many paintings here I don't know where to look and I also know from my profession that they've spent a huge amount of effort in getting that amount of paintings. I know, but now after doing these podcasts with you, I'm only going to pick a few well, yeah. to go and get some stories behind. We know we only need one painting. One painting. <laughs> we don't need a hundred. Now, now I'm going to definitely do that to go to to go and to have a few under my belt as such. I've done a little bit of research on and that I can... You never know. Someone might come and talk to me in front of a painting. I mean, that would be exciting. Oh, you'll be, you'll be, you'll be, <laughs> you'll be asked to talk. You'll be doing masterclasses. No, no, that. Weekend retreats. Sometimes I used to think, well, you know, you wander around and people are standing talking for ages in front of a painting. I think, well, what are they talking about? 
I'll tell, but, you what's, uh, I'll tell you what's really good to, to hang on to is, I mean, the um, often they're volunteers, and I think the National Gallery's cut back on them, which is a real shame. But some of the um, guides yeah. are absolutely brilliant. I mean, they really know their stuff. Mm. And, um, you know, it's, it's maybe that little bit more effort to work out when there's a guided tour mm. um, or, or, you know, you've got to maybe sign up for it these days and stuff, but it's absolutely worth it. And, of course, often the audio tours are very good too. Yes, no, they are. I mean... Trouble is if I'm with somebody... Yeah. Oh, talking again, I feel. I've got that trouble. <laughs> we always discussed this last week. I do love a chat. I think the best way, it's like anything, if you really, really want to get something out of it is yeah. do a little bit of research yeah. before you go in and I mean the catalogues are to, I mean pretty much universally are fantastic for exhibitions yeah but I bet a lot of us buy them and don't read them no I completely agree with that but I mean those the essays that are written because I do read them for you know for work they're really good and it's a bit like actually the best way to see an exhibition is having seen one of our films first. Let's do that. So if we've made a film about the exhibition and it's come out during the run of the exhibition, yes, which happens sometimes. Actually, I mean, no, let's definitely. Do, I reckon that's a great way to go, actually. So, and we, I mean, the gallery is always like that because they know they get, they know they get people coming to the, see the show because they've seen the film. Right. Usually, it's impossible for us because, well, actually, this is why having longer exhibitions will be good. If an exhibition is only three months long. We obviously can't film the exhibition until the first week at the earliest. And then it's impossible for us to edit it and get it all ready with subtitles and everything else certificated and into the cinemas in three months. Yeah. But six months is possible. Okay. So the the Pissarro film that we're doing at the moment, that will come out before the Pissarro exhibition ends. So the ideal way to see that exhibition is to have seen the film first and then go and see the paintings for, you, for yourself. Um, and, of course, it would be remiss of me, would it not, Laura, to point out at this point that our 27 or 8 previous exhibition on screen feature films are all available. Yes, we're going to watch them all. From all good bookshops, <laughs> not least our own website, yes. seventh-arts.com. Um, and they're definitely worth a watch, Phil. Well, Girl the Pearl Earring is definitely worth a watch. Yeah. And they're all worth a watch. Well, they are. They're great. Um, they're lovely. But she's... Uh, I mean, we, we talked to Tracy Chevalier in the film. She's, she's a really good interviewee. And we've got plenty of interesting people, actually. Well, that's a nice thing, isn't it? Get to talk to some lovely people. Yeah. Um, Get some more knowledge. Knowledge is key. Well, it's funny. Today, my colleague was up in Scotland at the National Gallery of Scotland doing an interview and he had to contact us to say, I need more, I need more cards. You put cards in the camera to record on. Oh, okay. Yeah. He said she was so interesting that we've used up three cards. Oh, that's amazing. Send more cards. Brilliant. This is the modern world. In the old days, it would be what? Yeah. Send more guns or something. <laughs> send more food. No, send more cards. <laughs> um, yeah, that's for our um, Art of Tokyo Film that will come out in some, oh, yeah. some time or other. So that's in Scotland? Well, the inter- one of the interviews oh. is. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Or, no, sorry, what we're talking about. That's actually for our film called The Danish Collector, 
Sorry, she's talking about collecting. Oh, okay. Sorry, we're, make, we're doing. We're making. You got so much going on. We're making four films at once at the moment. Phil's life is so interesting. Confused. All I've done is fight with bindweed today. <laughs> bindweed. Yes. <laughs> What's bindweed? Exactly. Oh, it's a horrible thing in the <laughs> yeah, garden. Yeah, it drives you mad. Ah. And then I put my marigolds in, and uh, they're meant to help in the vegetable patch, and keep some bugs away, and all the bugs have eaten them. There you go. So you're creating, you're creating your artwork. Well, I don't know, actually. I'm not doing Monet's garden here, let me tell you. <laughs> and you're having all these other things happening and I'm just fighting with the bindweed. <sighs> it's all too much. It is. I'd rather be looking at nice paintings. Yeah, right. actually, so would I, to be fair. So that's it's Girl... me mad. So that's Girl with a Pearl Earring. Oh. And, um... I feel, all right. I feel privileged to be talking about her today. I feel like I've gone up a notch now. Well, I'm we excited should. about that. I was I, I was looking forward to today. I really was. Oh, it's a fantastic painting. Mm. And as I said, if you go to when you know, if you go to the Netherlands, it's so easy to get from Amsterdam to the I mean it's like really easy on the train. Go, yes. go to The Hague. Yes. And go to the Moritz house. It, they have some of the The Dutch Golden Age is one of the most extraordinary moments in art history. An estimated five million paintings. Wow. On the back of the Dutch seafaring empire, they made a fortune out of spices from the east. It's all this yeah. commercial context. You had all these people making a lot of money, building houses, and it created this absolute insatiable demand for paintings. And because the Dutch were not, you know, they, they weren't Catholic, so they weren't they weren't trying to fill their room their houses with religious paintings no it was domestic scenes right that, that interested them and oh, still so lives yeah. and floral um scenes so you, you know you're not getting christ being crucified or deposed or lazarus resurrected all that kind of stuff you're getting young girls possibly a servant girl possibly a baker's daughter possibly the artist's daughter yeah you're getting women pouring milk reading letters playing a musical instrument and um an insight into that period then. Yeah, yeah, absolutely fantastic. Okay, I'm in. Right on. Okay. Thank you for listening to the Painting of the Week podcast. For more information, please visit our website at seventh-art.com or contact us by emailing info at seventh-art.com. See you next time.